Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Welcome to uh, New Hope Church on Resurrection Morning. Uh, just the, the epicenter of Christian faith and life. And, and as I said, the topic of it is filled with complexity. Through the years, I've taken time to examine just the historicity of the resurrection because, you know, if applying the scientific method, it really doesn't work because you have to have replicatable um, uh, circumstances or events in order to pass the test. So we're forced to do what's done with much of the substance of our life. We examine it through historical lenses, and fortunately we have the record of that in the mouths of four distinct gospel writers. Then we have Paul the Apostle, who's moved upon to expand on that dynamic even further throughout the remaining portion of the New Testament. But as we come here today, I, I, want, to, I want to present to you the resurrection story in three, by the way, three of the eight or ten, depending on which list or how you separate them, there were somewhere between eight and ten post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. That is, after um, uh, Jesus was crucified and resurrected, which we're here celebrating this morning. And I'm saying all of this because I don't want it to be an assumed fact about the resurrection Man, you can go fact check that, Google it to death and say, did the resurrection really happen? You're going to get volumes of stuff that will take you through that. I used the word a moment ago, forensic or, or detailed diagnostic of that and go through it. What I want to do today is I want to preach and speak to the spirit of the resurrection as presented to us in the three probably most outstanding appearances of Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And we're going to move through them sort of in chronological order as they happened on that first day of the week, that Sunday. I just love that. I love the poetic beauty of Scripture. But these three stories are about a woman known as Mary Magdalene, and she would be the first to discover that the Savior, the tomb was empty and the Savior had been resurrected. We'll move from there to about halfway through that first Sunday as two unnamed disciples, whether they were of the 11, there's argument, or whether they were just two other disciples of, of a larger group that had been following Christ. We know there were more than the 12, and these were likely two of those whose names we don't know. And then the third story, it has to do with the, uh, the evening of that day, as the disciples had spent the day in hiding for fear uh, of the Jews, for fear that they too would be crucified because they were identifiably followers of this rebel zealot known as Jesus Christ. This morning, uh, if you are here for the first time, and uh, there's going to be, and if you're here every week, you'll notice that there'll be a little more scripture than we normally have because I just want scripture to tell the story, and we're just going to take a quick look at each segment. John chapter 20, we'll begin at verse 1. John, the gospel writer, if you're new to faith in Christ, that is, um, <clears throat> that's the fourth gospel and the next to the last chapter. Now, if you've gotten that, now here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. Mary Magdalene was a woman that became a follower of Christ from whom Jesus uh, delivered or cast out seven demons. So this, the, her story is a fascinating story. 
to read and understand. But Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Here's something for you Bible teachers and students to do when you go home um, today. Take a look at this whole passage and, and dig into it a little bit, and you'll discover there are four different terms from the original language throughout this passage that are translated saw or see. And what's amazing is they speak to the four different ways that we often see the resurrection. And one of them has to do with a theory or experience, opinion, but it moves right through those. It's a worthy study. If you want to know more about that, send me an email to tom at newhopeonline. I'll send you the notes to that and a link to that teaching from last year, a couple years ago. Okay, pick it up, verse 2. So she ran and she came to Simon Peter. She left. She saw the stone taken away from the mouth of the tomb. And the other disciple whom, uh, and she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that is most likely John who is writing this. How many know if you write a letter about yourself after you're gone and you refer to like this? Uh, I'm referring to Tom, Tom the Awesome. I speak of myself in third person, you know. I leave behind in my will. This is the will and testament of Tom the Awesome. Wait a minute, didn't Tom write that? So you, I, I've often laughed because there's two or three occasions this chapter and the following where John refers to himself uh, as the beloved. And you can say, well, the guy clearly has issues. It's a fun study as, as well because maybe he did, maybe he didn't, okay? So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the, my Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid them. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw, there it comes again, the linen wrappings, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw, there's another word, you look at those, worth the effort, the linen wrappings lying there. In other words, that which Jesus' body had been wrapped in. Part of the uh, burial preparation in the ancient Near Eastern culture was to wrap them in a linen-type material, and between every layer would be uh, this ointment that was sort of an embalming notion, um, actually more than serving for purposes of embalming, it served to, uh, to sort of um, limit or, uh, the, the stench and the decay, okay? So, <clears throat> but uh, let's see, said, and the... Fa- uh, they saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. There, there's, through the years, the 40 years of ministry, right in those two verses is a powerful sermon of Jesus standing up after unwrapping, and he stands up and he's still got it, and you got it, you, there's just room for endless speculation about him, you know, walking across, walking in, whatever, and, and continuing to take it off. But he, he laid it in a place separate from the, that which had wrapped his body. So the other disciple who had first come into the tomb then also entered, and he saw and, and believed. For as yet they didn't understand the Scripture. See, there's the complexity that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But now, by the way, when you say what the disciple believed, most likely what he believed is what Mary had told them. And not, he, not that he believed in the resurrection. He believed that Mary said, someone's come and taken the body. And so when he looked, he said, okay, now I believe what she says. He's gone. But Mary was standing outside the tomb. Oh, by the way, verse 10 is critical. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. They took off, right? 
But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. She didn't leave. She hung out. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in, in, in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Uh, it's interesting to discuss why she saw them and, and they didn't. They said to her, why, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will will take him away. Watch what happens here. Supposing him to be the gardener. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary called her name. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. A risen Savior called her name, and whatever As Jesus stood in this glorified body, whatever was preventing him from being recognized, when the resurrection, when the resurrected Lord spoke her name, she knew who it was and um, responded. And Jesus said, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said, and, and then shared with them the things he said. In another rendering of this, in Matthew, I'm pretty sure, it says that she and the other women who were there fell at his feet. And when Jesus says, stop clinging to me, he said, it's a, it's a much more gracious way of saying, hey, girl, you got to let me go. I'm about to make a trip to the Father. I'll be back. Tell my brothers I've got to make a trip to the Father, but I'll be back. That's a fun story. But in this first scenario on the resurrection morning, you find Mary Magdalene, who discovers that Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, knows her name. I want to pause here because I had a scripture for the end that I think I've changed my mind and I probably should have read at the opening. Uh, Pastor Matt made reference to it. But in John chapter 11, I want to just lay this out there. John chapter 11, uh, verse 24, 3. This is the story of Jesus coming to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus how terribly sick Lazarus was, but Jesus didn't come. Said he didn't show up, and Lazarus died. A couple days after he was dead, Jesus finally shows up. They run to meet him, and Martha runs first and says, why didn't you come? Where have you been? And they have this conversation, and that, that happens right here. Uh, I'm about to read the words to you, and it's just really so fascinating what's said and then the conversation that happens after that because Martha says, yeah, you know, I, I get it, that, that I get what's understanding, and then she takes off, and she goes to find Mary and said, hey, uh, the Lord wants to see you, which may or may, may not be quite exactly true, but it was Martha, the pragmatic one, saying, hey, would you go talk to him? I've done all I can. And uh, I told him about Lazarus, and he's talking about the resurrection. And they had their own belief in a resurrection at the end of days. But watch the language in John 11. Um, I'm, I'm entering right in the middle of the story, so it's sort of unfair to all of us. But Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, oh, yeah, I know he'll rise again in, in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life who believes in he who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
here's the thing, uh, and I just want to postulate that you'll never understand the event of the resurrection until you meet the person of the resurrection. Jesus said, in words we don't get, I am the resurrection. That is one of seven I am statements that are just powerful throughout the book of, of John. And the poetic understanding of them is just even way more profound in our life. But here Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection. Here's the, here's the cool thing that hit me. Watch what happens. They don't understand the event of the resurrec- resurrection until they have an encounter with the person of the resurrection. And beloved, that's where we're headed today. There's no way I can pre- present to you through science, historicity, any sociological considerations, there's no way that I can com- convince, com- com- present to you convincing or final compelling evidence. It takes a relationship with the resurrection to understand the event of the resurrection. But what I want to say to you is watch what the person of the resurrection is. The first one is, and this first story is, God wants us to know that in the resurrection, there's a resurrection Savior that knows your name. Second story, Luke chapter 24. This is halfway through the day. But on the, Luke 24 verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, those remaining verses through verse 12 retell the story I just told you, but John gives us his version, the gospel writer of John, uh, excuse me, Luke gives us his version of the story, and it's wonderful to collect all of these. We're going to skip ahead to later in that day, verse 13. Uh, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Watch this. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Now watch the words because there's not a person in this room that's not prayed this phrase as some part of a prayer at least once in your life. You ready for it? One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened here in these days? Bro, do you have Facebook? Are are you the only human that has any clue? Remember, they were less than seven miles away from from Jerusalem where it transpired, and and that's how far where they were going. So they were closer than that. So he said, are you the only guy in the whole area that has no clue what's happened in the last few days? You know, people of, I think people who are wrestling with their faith are, are constantly amazed at the same thing. Not only, but what you'll discover about that is even more compelling. It's not the person around us, but very often the person in the mirror looking back at that, that my amazement starts. But watch what he says to them. And he, and he said to them, Watch how Jesus, he's playing you. And he said to them, what things? And they said, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in the word 
uh, and the word in sight of God, excuse me, and the word in the sight of God and in all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. That's what I'm talking about, dude. But here, here it comes. Here comes the heart cry. But we were hoping. You know, we live in a time right now, and really this, is, this phrase is what drew me to this approach, if you will, to talking about Easter today. We live in a time like never in any of our lives where hope is on the auction block. We live in, hopefully, a post-pandemic, at least this one, scenario. I, this morning, early, I was thinking about someone and then remembered, oh my goodness, they died a year ago. All of the people that we've lost, that we've experienced, more funerals and, and going home celebrations than any of us have probably experienced in, in a lifetime, um, unless you are a, um, perhaps the only difference is if you're a, a veteran that, that was in active duty in war at, at, in, in uh, Korea or Vietnam. Uh, most of our World War II vets, sadly, uh, are, are gone on from this world. But that'd be the closest thing that if you were in a battle or a war, you would see the kind, uh, the numbers of death that personally touch us that we've seen. Like never before, right now, we need hope. Beloved, the resurrection is the hope. Watch this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem, redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since things happened, okay? But also women were amazed, excuse me, uh, but also... Some women were amazed, among us were amazed and amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. They didn't find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels and that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman had also said, but, they, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? <clears throat> then, this is important, beginning with Moses, that's the Old Testament, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in Scripture. Beloved, did you know the Old Testament is loaded with pointed prophetic declarations about a coming Messiah that would be crucified and resurrected? As they approached the village they were, where they were going, he acted as though he were going further. They urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had, reached, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began to give it to them. Now watch this. For then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and vanished from their sight. At the end of his story, he said, when he began to break the bread, that's when we knew who it was. Just a compelling story. We have celebrated something similarly today as we come to the table of the Lord. And by the way, that's one of the points that we teach about coming to the table of the Lord that there are encounters with a risen Savior and understandings about a risen Savior that happen at a point of spiritual transaction, again, beyond our mind, as we come and embrace this act of worship. And that is true, beloved. Wish I had more time to talk to you about it. Verse 32, I love it. They said to one another, <clears throat> excuse me, then, uh, verse 31, then their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to one another, key phrase, we're not our minds burning within us. Everybody see that? Doesn't say that, does it? 
doesn't say our minds were burning in us. It says our heart was. You see, here's another prayer that I'm praying for today. That to those of us who maybe are making at least a consideration of the possibilities of what this Savior might mean to me, it's been our prayer. We prayed Friday night here for this, that as we stand here, that there would be a moment where the Holy Spirit is enthroned on the praises of the people of God. And that same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead would penetrate our heart and life. And long before any of us make a leap to some mental conclusion, there'll be this burning in our heart of the living Word of God. God that's happening, burning in our heart. You know, I've never supposed this until today, um, but can, can, um, somebody needs to get this. We study 2 Corinthians 3 around here a lot, and I love the poetic beauty of Paul the Apostle saying, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who doesn't want you to just read the Word of God. He wants to write it on your heart. Now, I don't know how he does that through some sort of spiritual laser process, but I suppose this that the moment that the Word of God comes alive, moves past my mind, and is embraced in my spirit, I believe that there's some sort of burning sensation where God takes the eternal and indescribable laser at the end of his finger. It says he wrote with his finger two or three times in Scripture. And as he begins to etch something in our heart, there's this burning going on. Don't run away. Don't look for an antacid. That's God at work in you burning something on your heart that is soon going to make its way to your mind. I've always believed every encounter we will have with God is not first and foremost cerebral. It is not put under the microscope of cognitive dissection to be taken apart at a molecular level and then reassembled in some sort of understandable and comprehensible fashion. But instead, God leaps over all of that, touches us in our heart, and we somehow know something that we didn't know before at a level beyond how we know everything else because it's burning in our heart. Father, may that happen in this room today. While we're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road. And while he was explaining scripture to us, they got up that very hour, went back to Jerusalem, found, and found together the 11 who's, uh, th- of the, and those who were with him, saying, the Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon Those ladies knew what they were talking about. I love that. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them. In the first scenario, we see a resurrected Lord. The very first message he wants to send coming right out of the tomb is before you understand who I am and suppose me to be someone I'm not, let me fix the problem by starting with, I know your name. See, arguably, in scenario number one in John chapter 20, it says Peter and John turn and ran. I believe it's a fair assessment that they probably ran right by this gardener. It's a fair. The scripture, no. Does the Bible say that? No. But there's the what if, because they turned and ran. And only by whatever timeline or or, or linear sequence you want to establish, best a minute and a half, two minutes later, Mary turns and, and, and runs into this same gardener. You see, the first two guys were in a hurry to run away with their conclusions and share it with other, others, but there's a word at the end of John 20 that's different because four or five times throughout that passage they said, Peter stuck his head in and he saw. John came with him and he saw and he was able to see. But see, Jesus, when he, turn, when she, he turns to Mary, or the angels, uh, Jesus says to Mary, not who did you come to see, who are you seeking? Who are you seeking? 
You see, God finds us in the middle of our seek. For, for, for Mary, she was seeking for anything that might bring hope, and the resurrection met her there. Later on in that day, we see the second story of our life, that two disciples, two humans, come to understand that the one who is the resurrection is not just the center, uh, the center character in an event, but this, this person, the resurrection, has already been walking with them, and they didn't even recognize it was him. This is coming home to us in just a second. This third scenario is later on the day, back to John chapter 20, the second half of that. And so when it was the evening of that day, okay, now we have a full day. The sun's setting again. So what do we got? 12 hours or so from the first uh, understanding that Jesus had been resurrected. On the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. This is not a new statement Jesus had made. They heard him say this before. They heard him say this in the middle of a stormy sea. These should have been words that begin to open their eyes, and sure enough, it did. But think about this. By now, 12 hours later, Mary Magdalene and the other women had already returned and reported to them, he's risen, but they didn't buy into it themselves. They're still hiding behind walls because they are now known to be primary followers of this rebel zealot, and they just saw what happened to him, and they're coming for us next. So they are there, and if you read on down through this passage, it says, the doors and the windows were closed, locked down, hiding behind impenetrable barrier of fear. Watch. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. As he did to that, as he did that, something begins to happen. There's a spiritual transfer. And he, um, if, if you would... Look to verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Now watch, so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands in the imprint of his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, the disciples, by the way, we often call him Thomas the doubter. I've had to defend that given the fact that Thomas. Here's my take on Thomas. Thomas was the only one not in the room. Thomas was the only one still out looking. The other 11 were hiding. Thomas was out there on the street saying, I don't care about anything else. I'm going searching for him. That's my spin on it. I won't be the doubter. I'm going to be outside the wall looking for him. So there, you stay inside. That doesn't mean I doubt. I just... I just needed to say that. <clears throat> After eight days, his eight days later, okay, it starts on that resurrection day, but eight days later, watch this. <laughs> the disciples were again inside. Eight days later. They didn't get over it yet, okay? Eight days later, they're inside again, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach where your hand Reach, uh, and ha- and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered, by the way, I love this also, and said to him, 
Are you aware that Thomas is the first one to declare who the Savior is after the resurrection when he says these words? He doesn't say Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. He got it. Here's where we land today. What if? What if? What if he knows my name? What if, like Mary Magdalene today, you've heard whispered at a level uh, beyond what you can possibly comprehend, this one that you've supposed to be something other than he is? You see, because the gardener has been standing on the fringes of our life a lot longer than we know. It's only up to us to turn and say, will you tell me who you are? And when you do that, he'll always start with talking about who I am. It happened with Moses at the burning bush. It happened with Peter uh, when Jesus asked the question of them. And it happens in real time when he said, I'm looking for the Savior, but the Savior calls her name. I want to say to you today, if you're here today, there's a resurrection, the one who is the resurrection. I didn't come to talk to you about it. I came to introduce you to him. And him, the resurrection, he knows your name. Number two, the road to Emmaus. What if he has been walking with me, extending that all this time, and I have been unaware? See, because there's not a person who's never asked this question. As a matter of fact, just the day before yesterday in a text message uh, from a, a, good, a friend in Scotland who had lost a close friend, and this guy's not a believer, and he goes, he goes uh, I know you're a religious lad, dot, dot, dot. He says, where's God in all of this? Where's God in all of this? And we began to have a discussion, and we just began to talk gently as I sort of led him into some considerations. But two, you see, none of those points of hopelessness are resolved here. They happen here in an encounter, and they make their way to our mind. Number three, what if this resurrected Lord is able to penetrate the walls of my biggest fears, watch, and to show me the scars where he conquered his? Wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Beloved, this is the Savior who on the cross hung there at a point of absolute devastation and utters at the depth of guttural reflection, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody here ever felt that way? Anybody ever here wondered about that? Your deepest fears is where is God right now? Our Savior on the cross asked that deepest question, and the one who is the resurrection answers it. And in like fashion, no less than two occasions, he shows up and he just passes right through the walls of their fear. How many have ever wondered if the barriers of your deepest fears and uncertainties and, and, and just reflective and negative polarizations about faith. You've wondered, can God get to me where I am? That answers it right there. He says, I can get to you. You don't have to open a door. I can get to you. You don't have to open a window in your fear. I'll pass right through it and stand where you are. I want to make this statement again. Amanda, I didn't send it to you, but this with all of them, if there's any way we can get this up here. What if he is able to penetrate the walls of my biggest fears? What if he is able to penetrate the walls of my biggest fears and to allow me to touch the scars of where he conquered his? 
Here, Thomas, touch me. Put your finger right there. Touch me. Because when you understand, as Hebrews would write of the Savior, that we have a Savior who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our deepest and most profound uncertainties. He says, I want you to, I want you to know that I can not only touch you, but I want you to touch me where I was touched by that same guttural cry. Anybody getting that today? This is the Savior we know and love and serve. Now, we're going to return in closing right here back to the Mary Magdalene scenario. I want you to picture Mary Magdalene. I didn't ask Pastor Rhea to put on a, a time period costume that we do on this stage so often. But who's coming back out in the orange dress is not Pastor Rhea, but you're about to meet Mary Magdalene. And I want you to hear the song of Mary Magdalene on that resurrection morning. And when Pastor Rhea is done, then Pastor Brenda, whom you've already met, and that was, by the way, if you're here for the first time, that was the tall, blonde-headed woman um, who's amazingly beautiful, who asked me to marry her three times, and I finally said yes. (laughs) That's her who will be coming out. You can go ahead and decide which part of that was a lie. Probably not too hard. But right now, this morning... If I could think of a song that perhaps as Mary would bend, kneel down and touch his feet and say, oh, master, I can't believe whatever was there. And finally, after the exchange, I believe he, he bends down, maybe takes her by the shoulders or the face, and, and he just stands her up and he says, he says now, Mary, you, you just got to let go. You got to quit holding on to me. I've got to go to the Father. And I want you to picture this. Perhaps Mary turns and she turns to run and she remembers she's got a thousand more questions, and she stops, and as she turns back, she says, oh, but master, only to discover he's gone. He's gone. It is in that reflection on Easter morning that we want to present the same question that Mary wrestled with. It's the question you have in this room today. What if the risen Savior and Lord is really in this place? Let's worship with Pastor Rhea. She shares that role again, please.
joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.